As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, it's Karen here. Just wanted to pop into the feed and let you all know that there will be no new episode this week due to some unforeseen circumstances. Uh, However, I decided since it's Valentine's Day weekend, I would give you guys a special reading of some passages from one of my favorite YA books, with which I have a love-hate relationship. And if you listen to season one, You probably already know what it is. It's Twilight. So today I will be reading to you some of the more romantic passages from the first book, since it sort of fits with the times. I uh, will be reading these live. I have not read this book in about 14 years. So that should be fun. If y'all enjoy this type of content, please let us know. I will for sure keep doing this, uh, because we both know how much of a masochist I am when it comes to Twilight, and by both of us, I mean y'all and me. It's way too fun. It's too fun. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, and it's over the top, and it's everything about being a teenage girl that I both love and hate at the same time. I do not have a name for this bonus segment yet, so... Please, please let me know if you have any ideas. Uh, I really would love to hear from you. I'm working with Twilight Corner right now, uh, which is terrible. So please, (laughs) uh, please let me know what your ideas are for the name of this bonus segment. Uh, But without further ado, here is Twilight Book One Read Live by me, Karen Cooper of Chicklet Podcast. Twilight, Chapter 1, First Sight, Page 18. It was there, sitting in the lunchroom, trying to make conversation with seven curious strangers, that I first saw them. They were sitting in the corner of the cafeteria, as far away from where I sat as possible in the long room. There were five of them. They weren't talking, and they weren't eating though they each had a tray of untouched food in front of them. They weren't gawking at me, unlike most of the other students, so it was safe to stare at them without fear of meeting an excessively interested pair of eyes. But it was none of these things that caught and held my attention. They didn't look anything alike. Of the three boys, one was big, muscled like a serious weightlifter with dark, curly hair. Another was taller, leaner, but still muscular and honey-blonde. The last was lanky, less bulky, 
with untidy, bronze-colored hair. He was more boyish than the others, who looked like they could be in college, or even teachers here, rather than students. The girls were opposites. The tall one was statuesque. She had a beautiful figure, the kind you saw on the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, the kind that made every girl around her take a hit on her self-esteem, just by being in the same room. Yuck. Her hair was golden, gently waving to the middle of her back. The short girl was pixie-like, thin in the extreme with small features. Her hair was a deep black, cropped short and pointing in every direction. And yet, they were all exactly alike. Every one of them was chalky pale, the palest of all the students living in this sunless town. Paler than me, the albino. They all had very dark eyes, despite the range in their hair tones. They also had dark shadows under those eyes, purplish, bruise-like shadows, as if they were all suffering from a sleepless night, or almost done recovering from a broken nose. Though their noses, all their features, were straight, perfect, angular. But this is not why I couldn't look away. I stared because their faces, so different, so similar, were all devastatingly, inhumanly beautiful. They were faces you never expected to see, except perhaps on the airbrushed pages of a fashion magazine, or painted by an old master as the face of an angel. It was hard to decide who was the most beautiful. Maybe the perfect blonde girl, or the bronze-haired boy. Who are they? I asked the girl from my Spanish class, whose name I'd forgotten. As she looked up to see who I meant, though already knowing, probably, from my tone, suddenly he looked at her. The thinner one. The boyish one. The youngest, perhaps. (laughs) I don't know why I read it like that. He looked at my neighbor for just a fraction of a second, and then his dark eyes flickered to mine. He looked away quickly, more quickly than I could, though, in a flush of embarrassment, I dropped my eyes at once. In that brief flash of a glance, his face held nothing of interest. It was as if she had called his name, and he'd looked up, an involuntary response, already having decided not to answer. My neighbor giggled in embarrassment, looking at the table like I did. That's Edward and Emmett Cullen, and Rosalie and Jasper Hale. The one who left was Alice Cullen. They all live together with Dr. Cullen and his wife. She said this under her breath. I glanced sideways at the beautiful boy, who was looking at his tray now, picking a bagel to pieces with long, pale fingers. His mouth was moving very quickly, his perfect lips barely opening. The other three still looked away, and yet I felt he was speaking quietly to them. They are very nice looking. I struggled with the conspicuous understatement. Yes, Jessica agreed with another giggle. They're all together, though. Emmett and Rosalie, and Jasper and Alice. I mean, they all live together. Her voice held all the shock and condemnation of the small town, I thought critically. But if I was being honest, I had to admit that even in Phoenix, it would cause gossip. Which ones are the Cullens? I asked. They don't look related. Oh, they're not. Dr. Cullen is really young, in his 20s or early 30s. They're all adopted. The Hales are brother and sister, twins, the blondes, and they're foster children. They look a little old for foster children. They are now. Jasper and Rosalie are both 18, but they've been with Mrs. Cullen since they were eight. 
she's their aunt or something like that. That's really kind of nice for them to take care of all those kids like that when they're so young and everything. I guess so, Jessica admitted reluctantly, and I got the impression that she didn't like the doctor and his wife for some reason. As I examined them, the youngest, one of the Cullens, looked up and met my gaze, this time with evident curiosity in his expression. As I looked swiftly away, it seemed to me that his glance held some kind of unmet expectation. Which one is the boy with the reddish-brown hair? I asked. I peeked at him from the corner of my eye, and he was still staring at me, but not gawking like the other students had today. He had a slightly frustrated expression. I looked down again. That's Edward. He's gorgeous, of course, but don't waste your time. He doesn't date. Apparently, none of the girls here are good-looking enough for him. She sniffed a clear case of sour grapes. (laughs) I wondered when he'd turned her down. I bit my lip to hide my smile. Then I glanced at him again. His face was turned away, but I thought his cheek appeared lifted, as if he were smiling too. Okay, so I just want to talk about the fact that Stephanie Meyer just wrote an entire scene of a couple people staring at one another and made it into, like, an entire chapter of this book. And I'm starting to realize how thick this book actually is. Like, it is, my god, how many pages? Like, 500 pages? And I really think she probably could have edited some of this down. Like, girl, your Mormon friends that read this were, like, way too into it. You could have edited it down a little bit. Chapter 11, Complications. Everyone watched us as we walked together to our lab table. I noticed that he no longer angled the chair to sit as far away from me as the desk would allow. Instead, he sat quite close beside me, our arms almost touching. Mr. Banner backed into the room then. What superb timing that man had, pulling a tall metal frame on wheels that held a heavy-looking, outdated TV and VCR. A movie day. The lift in the class atmosphere was almost tangible. Mr. Banner shoved the tape into the reluctant VCR and walked to the wall to turn off the lights. And then, as the room went black, I was suddenly hyper-aware that Edward was sitting less than an inch from me. I was stunned by the unexpected electricity that flowed through me, amazed that it was possible to be more aware of him than I already was. A crazy impulse to reach over and touch him, to stroke his perfect face, just once in the darkness, nearly overwhelmed me. I crossed my arms tightly across my chest, my hands bawling into fists. I was losing my mind. The opening credits began, lighting the room by a token amount. My eyes of their own accord flickered to him. I smiled sheepishly as I realized his posture was identical to mine, fist clenched under his arms, right down to the eyes peering sideways at me. He grinned back, his eyes somehow managing to smolder, even in the dark. I looked away before I could start hyperventilating. (laughs) It was absolutely ridiculous that I should feel dizzy. Mm. The hour seemed very long. 
I couldn't concentrate on the movie. I didn't even know what subject it was on. I tried unsuccessfully to relax, but the electric current that seemed to be originating from somewhere in his body never slackened. Occasionally, I would permit myself to... Occasionally, I would permit myself a quick glance in his direction, but he never seemed to relax either. The overpowering craving to touch him. God, this is way sexier than I remember. The overpowering craving to touch him also refused to fade, and I crushed my fist safely against my ribs until my fingers were aching with the effort. Is this what Mormons... Is this, is this just like Mormon romance? They just stare at each other and not touch each other? I breathed a sigh of relief when Mr. Banner flicked the lights back on at the end of the class and stretched my arms out in front of me, flexing my stiff fingers. Edward chuckled beside me. Well, that was interesting, he murmured. His voice was dark and his eyes were cautious. Um, was all I was able to respond? <laughs> Shall we? he asked, rising fluidly. I almost groaned. Time for Jim. I stood with care, worried my balance might have been affected by the strange new intensity between us. He walked me to my next class in silence and paused at the door. I turned to say goodbye. His face startled me. His expression was torn, almost pained, and so fiercely beautiful that the ache to touch him flared, as strong as before. Girl, just, just touch him, it's fine. My goodbye stuck in my throat. I walked into the gym, lightheaded and wobbly. I drifted to the locker room, changing in a trance-like state, only vaguely aware that there were other people surrounding me. Reality didn't fully set in until I was handed a racket. It wasn't heavy yet it felt very unsafe in my hand. <laughs> what? I could see a few of the other kids in class eyeing me furtively. Coach Clapp ordered us to pair up in teams. Mercifully, some vestiges of Mike's chivalry still survived. He came to stand beside me. Do you want to be a team? Thanks, Mike. You don't have to do this, you know. I grimaced apologetically. Don't worry. I'll keep out of your way. He grinned. Sometimes it was so easy to like Mike. So, he said as we walked off the court. So what? <laughs> you and Cullen, huh? He asked, his tone rebellious. My previous feeling of affection disappeared. That's none of your business, Mike, I warned, internally cursing Je Jessica straight to the fiery pits of Hades. Hades! She can't even say hell! She said Hades! <clears throat> I don't like it, he muttered anyway. You don't have to, I snapped. He looks at you like, like you're something to eat. <laughs> I choked back the hysteria that threatened to explode, but a small giggle managed to get out despite my efforts. He glowered at me. I waved and fled to the locker room. He said something to eat. If you didn't get, if you didn't already get this, um, this is a book about vampires. And homeboy wants to eat her ass. So, not eat her ass. Just, like, eat her. For real. Um, they didn't hit you over the head with that or anything at all. Chapter 24. An Impasse. My eyes opened to a bright white light. I was in an unfamiliar room. A white room. The wall beside me was covered in long vertical blinds. Over my head, the glaring lights blinded me. I was propped up on a hard, uneven bed. A bed with rails. The pillows were flat and lumpy. There was an annoying beeping sound somewhere close by. I hoped that meant I was still alive. 
Death shouldn't be this uncomfortable. My hands were all twisted up with clear tubes, and something was taped across my face, under my nose. I lifted my hand to rip it off. No, you don't. And cool fingers caught my hand. Edward? I turned my head slightly, and his exquisite face was just inches from mine, his chin resting on the edge of my pillow. I realized again that I was alive, this time with gratitude and elation. Oh, Edward, I'm so sorry. Shh, he shushed me. (laughs) You could just say shush. Everything's all right now. What happened? I couldn't remember clearly, and my mind rebelled against me as I tried to recall. I was almost too late. I could have been too late, he whispered, his voice tormented. I was so stupid, Edward. I thought he had my mom. He tricked us all. I need to call Charlie and my mom, I realized through the haze. Alice called them. Renee is here. Well, here in the hospital. She's getting something to eat right now. She's here? I tried to sit up, but the spinning in my head accelerated and his hand pushed me gently down onto the pillows. She'll be back soon, he promised. And you need to stay still. But what did you tell her? I panicked. I had no interest in being soothed. My mom was here, and I was recovering from a vampire attack. Why did you tell her I'm here? You fell down two flights of stairs and through a window. He paused. You have to admit, it could happen. (laughs) What a neg. Why are you here? I asked. He stared at me, first confusion and then hurt, touching his eyes. His brows pulled together as he frowned. Do you want me to leave? No, I protested, horrified by the thought. No, I meant, why does my mother think you're here? I need to have my story straight before she gets back. Oh, he said, his forehead smoothed back into marble. I came to Phoenix to talk some sense into you, to convince you to come back to Forks. His wide eyes were so earnest and sincere, I almost believed him myself. You agreed to see me, and you drove out to the hotel where I was staying with Carlisle and Alice. Of course, I was here, with parental supervision. He insisted virtuously. But you tripped on the stairs on the way to my room and, well, you know the rest. You don't need to remember any details, though. You have a good excuse to be a little muddled about the finer points. I thought about it for a moment. There are a few flaws with that story, like no broken windows. Not really, he said. Alice had a little bit too much fun fabricating evidence. It's all been taken care of very convincingly. You could probably sue the hotel if you wanted to. You have nothing to worry about, he promised, stroking my cheek with the lightest of touches. Your only job now is to heal. (laughs) Christ. I wasn't so lost to the soreness or the fog of medication that I didn't respond to his touch. The beeping of the monitor jumped around erratically. Now he wasn't the only one who could hear my heart misbehave. That's going to be embarrassing, I muttered to myself. He chuckled, and a speculative look came into his eye. Hmm, I wonder. He leaned in slowly. The beeping noise accelerated wildly before his lips even touched me. (sighs) But when they did, though with the most gentle of pressure, the beeping stopped altogether. What? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. He pulled back abruptly, his anxious expression turning into relief as the monitor reported the restarting of my heart. 
It seems I'm going to have to be even more careful with you than usual, he frowned. I was not finished kissing you, I complained. <laughs> Don't make me come over there. Ugh. He grinned and bent to press his lips lightly to mine. The monitor went wild. But then his lips were taut. He pulled away. I think I hear your mother, he said, grinning again. Don't leave me, I cried, an irrational surge of panic flowing through me. I couldn't let him go. He might disappear from me again. Dependency 101. He read the terror in my eyes for a short second. I won't, he promised solemnly. And then he smiled. I'll take a nap. He moved from the hard plastic chair by my side to the turquoise faux leather recliner at the foot of my bed, leaning it all the way back and closing his eyes. He was perfectly still. Don't forget to breathe, I whispered sarcastically. Oh, sorry. Don't forget to breathe, I whispered sarcastically. How do you whisper sarcastically? (sighs) He took a deep breath, his eyes still closed. This has been Twilight Corner or whatever. Happy Friday. Happy Valentine's Day. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to hear more of this bullshit, uh, please let us know. If you absolutely hate it, please let us know. You can contact us on Twitter and Instagram at ChickletPod. You can email us at chicklet.podcast.info at gmail.com. Uh, And if you really, really love this uh, absolute trash content, uh, you can subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash chicklit. Patreon.com slash C-H-I-C-K-L-I-T. Happy Valentine's Day. Go drink some blood. uh, Hug a loved one. uh, Find a werewolf. Whatever you feel like doing. Uh, and, uh, just know that we love you. And guys, gals, non-binary pals, we love all of you. Have a great weekend! As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.